Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm Alex Kalanorkas, Autosport's Grand Prix Editor, and today we're discussing electrification in motorsport. In today's world, the rush is on to electrify. From a lot of the cars we watch racing on a Sunday afternoon, to more and more of the cars people then drive back to work on a Monday morning. But what's behind this move towards electrification? What does it mean for motorsport? And what does electrification really mean? In this episode of the Autosport Podcast, we're looking forward to the 2020 season, with all those questions in mind. First up, you'll hear Autosport's long-standing Grand Prix editor and podcast host, my predecessor, Ed Straw, talking to Michael Ritz from AVL. AVL designs and develops e-drive solutions, including hybrids, e-vehicles, and other specialist components. AVL has been doing it for over 15 years and is an ideal company to ask about electrification. In general terms, how, how big an opportunity do you think this shift in technology is for, for motorsport? We're obviously starting to see it, but it feels like it's just the just the very start, the tip of the iceberg in terms of how much things are, are going to change with this new technology. It's very similar to what we see on uh, the race car market, uh, on the road car market. It's just uh, exploding and the demand for some sort of electrification and uh, we're talking about hybridification. It seems to be very, very important for every race class, even very traditional race classes uh, more or less can't avoid the fact anymore that some sort of electrification needs to uh, be in there there's clever aspects that we see and there's uh, some some aspects that uh, just having in hybrid is is also uh, sufficient but uh, uh, you name it it's uh, formula one it's uh, formula e to the extreme uh, world endurance championship maybe coming back with hybrids uh, dtm uh, considering hybrid uh, 
IMSA considering hybrid, uh, NASCAR, I guess it's already announced, considering hybrid, Indigo's hybrid, so uh, with the exception of uh, MotoGP, that, uh, motor racing, motorcycle racing that had a, a, a bit of a bad start, uh, everything uh, seems to have a vault and watts at the moment. It's remarkable, isn't it? Because it wasn't so long ago, like five years ago, Formula E was, was the island for this, wasn't it? And now when you get a category like NASCAR, which is considered perhaps perhaps slightly falsely, but it is regarded as kind of old technology, isn't it? An old form of racing. And now they're looking at it and it, it just seems like the exceptions are the ones that aren't looking at going down some form of this route. Yeah, I would consider Formula E still being on an island, but uh, uh, the rest, uh, you're absolutely right. It makes sense because what we will see in the future is uh, some sort of hybridization also on the road. Uh, I'm not a big believer that uh, full electrification is the end of the game, uh, but some sort of hybrid hybridization, at least uh, consisting of two uh, powertrain elements, uh, we will see. So it's only natural that uh, motorsport uh, is again uh, on the forefront of this development, trying to make the things more efficient, uh, lighter, lasting longer under stronger conditions. So that's... Uh, basically where we are back where motorsport was like 20 years ago well i guess this is really where you people talk about road relevance and that kind of thing and this is where it really starts to come in both in terms of refining technology and in terms of showcasing it as well and and saying that actually you know electric vehicles hybridization it's not boring and slow is it it's it's actually can be performant it can be exciting it can be dramatic and so that's quite important for motorsport to harness that and for the automotive the road car industry to perhaps sort of change the image by using motorsport it's it's kind of old-fashioned motorsport really isn't it in that you you can use it to, to showcase the exciting elements of your technology absolutely and uh and similar to to road cars uh there will be showcases where uh hybrid makes a lot of sense um if you want to think about it uh the the cars driving uh electrified and uh, maybe autonomous out of the out of the pit stand uh, to the grid. So and meeting the driver there, uh, driver jumps into the car. So you, you you at least have a showcase of what can be done. Uh, still under reduced uh, speed, uh, still in a safe environment. But uh, that would be the same uh, road equivalent that your car is deparked and meets you in front of your house. Uh, and there's numerous elements of uh, what we can see where uh, the the showcasing hybridization and electrification makes a lot of sense also in racing. That would have quite a big impact on people, wouldn't it, if they could see that happening in front of their eyes, you know, a car basically driving itself just as a, a small element. That that The first championship that does that or category would, would get a lot of get a lot, get a lot of publicity, wouldn't it, and a lot of interest. Absolutely. If I was a... Uh, serious promoter i would i would really clearly try to seek uh, very quickly uh, how or what sort of autonomous elements can be uh, can be ad- adapted into the, my racing series in conjunction with uh, hybridization and uh, i'm 100% sure uh, a lot of uh, industry people out there uh, with uh, pockets of money at the moment uh, working on in these fields uh, will be happy to join the scene. And so what does this mean for a, a company like AVL that's heavily involved in 
in automotive and motorsport technology obviously it's a kind of powertrain company at, at, at heart i guess is fair to say but there's all these things happening there's lots of new technologies lots of different avenues things could go down so how do you react to that and how are you developing your technology and your services to actually meet that need particularly seeing as that need is not necessarily precise at the moment you're having to look i guess five years down the line to try and guess where things are going to be it comes handy that our mother company avl is ten thousand people and uh, that our mother company uh, developed batteries in the motors 25 years ago so once uh, the technology uh, hit racing uh Yes, we were all surprised in racing, but our friends from uh, the road industry already had solutions. So that was uh, a new, unique uh, situation for AVL that we just could uh, discuss with our friends from AVL uh, Road and bring the technology very, very quick into racing. Uh, obviously, the entire field of testing these technologies with uh, batteries in a loop or batteries, uh, emulators and electric motors, uh, test stands, etc. Uh, all came along with that. And obviously battery technology is something that's been driven on a lot in, in recent years and there's still a lot of push in it in terms of you know, increasing the effici- efficiency, the energy density, this this kind of thing. How, mu- how much is that still, still changing and is that technology maturing? Because obviously... Formula E is the, the sort of showcase for, for fully battery-based. Most other things are looking more hybrid-based. But are we, are we at a point where, with the step we've seen in Formula E, we're getting quite close to kind of fully electric systems that can be light enough and powerful enough and have the energy density to, to really be very high-performing? Well, if you if you ask an engineer, he would always say there's a there's a huge potential still in doing that. And we see this every day. You know, you can play around with uh, uh, structures. You can play around with geometric forms of the cells. You can even play around with liquids. You can play around with cooling systems, uh, packaging, safety aspects. Safety is a huge factor in, in uh, motor racing with uh, hybridif- hybridification. hybridization. Um, so my strong belief is we will see a lot more uh, on battery development, uh, longer-lasting batteries, uh, higher densities, uh, less cycle, uh, less uh, loading time, uh, more cycles they can take, uh, lighter, uh, smaller. So that's uh, for sure not the end of the race. Uh, interesting also the combination with uh, fuel cells. Uh, that's uh, that's a big investigation point at the moment. The only downside of uh, uh, fuel cells, obviously, is that hydrogen needs a lot of energy to be produced. On the other hand, also here, there's a showcase for uh, racing uh, to demonstrate in a safe environment that uh, we can go uh, CO2-free very, very quick. It's a little bit disappointing that Formula One's kind of staying in a holding pattern for the next few years. We've seen the 2021 rules nothing's really changing significantly on the powertrains until 25 or maybe even 26 and that's very early stages in that so that that's kind of kind of holding isn't it it's not it's not really taking a step forward i think they're obviously worried about costs etc or just do we not need that when we've got all these other categories that are that are looking at uh hybridization I would I would say it that way uh formula 1 was far advanced with uh, uh terms of what was needed uh, back then, uh, and uh, the efficiency of the Formula One uh, engine—it's—it's it's unbelievable. 
the the power and size of uh, MGUH and MGUK and the battery involved. I think it, it yeah, it it is super good. Uh, I think Formula One can afford uh, to take a breath for the next couple of years uh, if at the end of that, uh, looking at 2025. There's a concept that gives uh, people a playground again for being inventive and uh, innovative. So I don't see an overtake from uh, another series in terms of being the cutting edge. But again, uh, after a period of two years, there's some some work to do here. Uh, looking at the kind of big picture, how, how difficult is it to, to judge where things are going? So we were talking all about electric battery based stuff but there's a lot of other alternative fuels being worked on and talked about it's always going to be everyone always says what's the, the kind of magic bullet solution to this but it's going to be multiple things isn't it different things for different applications as technology advances everyone wants things to be as kind of close to carbon neutral as possible the obviously the, the need for things to be uh, to be green so how difficult is it to kind of keep track of all this and to know if you're if you're looking from a business perspective, where you need to be, you know, five, ten years down the line, because things are changing so so quickly. I think the beauty at the moment is there's so many alternatives around. If you look at uh, e-fuels, for example, uh, yes, it's difficult to market a product that at the end of the day for the end consumer is more expensive than what's available at the moment. But it works with electric cars; they are far more expensive for what they do in uh, on the roads. So uh, e-fuel would be something uh, we would really love to see in in motor racing. Yes, it's an uh, it's an expensive uh, situation at the moment, but on the other hand, uh, it's a good showcase to demonstrate that uh, a race engine can produce zero uh, CO two. Uh, ideally, we can see a combination of all that. So uh, you have a, a mild hybrid. Uh, uh, maybe a, a fuel cell in addition, uh, and the, the IC is powered with an e-fuel, uh, and the whole thing is mixed up with uh, autonomous elements where it makes sense. So I think it's not uh, difficult for us to prepare because all the potential solutions are out there, and there are solutions for every potential solution. I think it depends on the on the racing series. Uh, uh, organizers at the moment how how they mix it together and uh and at this stage obviously because there are so many championships that have kind of signaled intention to do things there's a lot of detail work i guess to do in terms of understanding so how involved are you getting in some of these these categories that are, that are looking to to go down this route the difficult part was to do it once with one of the uh, major race series uh once you've done that it's always more or less the same philosophy so it's it's trying to find the best package for the existing situation uh, and uh, also find the benefit for that. And and then the devil is in the detail. Uh, you know, do you go to the grid with a full battery, with a, a battery that's used for qualifying, etc., etc. So a lot of simulation goes into that, also with in terms of uh, weight distribution, how much weight is added, uh, how much... Uh, kilowatts you you can allow more uh, where does it benefit because it does not benefit if just all cars go quicker uh, the race spectacle will not be better but if you allow it certain periods uh, certain performances then there's at least a, a way to sort of 
get racing more interesting without too much interfering. And in general terms, obviously there's been a bit of resistance to, say, things like Formula E, people complaining about noise, etc. But this does seem to be an area where where motorsport is actually able to get involved in driving technology and there's there's a huge amount going on. And this this is often what we'll, we'll see in fan surveys that they say they like technology, etc., in something like Formula One, but then there's a bit of pushback against this. But the the kind of chance for motorsport to actually push this is exciting and and interesting rather than kind of boring, like even autonomous cars. That sort of how that the people are very suspicious about them. I I, uh, I was going to say ran into one, not literally, but I encountered one in the uh, in the US a few uh, a few weeks ago. I was very impressed. Just it was just driving around, just impressed with the way it was driving. It was a well driven car, and it's it's quite spectacular to see. So across the board, motorsport has the chance to actually convince people this stuff is is exciting and and interesting because it is it is actually it's not just old technology it's it's new stuff that's that's actually performing absolutely and i think that's uh uh that that's like it was also in 20 years ago you know every race class has a specific spectator a world rally fan is a world rally fan for a specific reason a formula 1 fan is a formula 1 fan for a specific reason yes there might be some uh, some interest on both sides to sort of a world rally guy may look at the Formula One race, but may not be that excited than in uh, when he looks at the world rally. <clears throat> Same thing, world rally is looking for uh, electrification uh, between the stages at the moment. Uh, here, safety is a huge aspect. I imagine somebody uh, or car crashes and the spectator tries to help the driver out of the car. If it's a high voltage on the car it's uh, very very dangerous for the spectator so that's that's aspects but yes of course if the world rally fan understands the technology of the car uh, mixed obviously with the emotions that the good driver has uh, he's more likely to engage with the brand and with the technology so he might not buy a car but uh, he, it's in his forehead what uh, uh, what he has seen on the on the track, or in that case, in the boots. There's so many new things to get to get involved in and to to get on top of. So I guess quite an, quite an exciting time in terms of the the technology you're offering and the the test facilities, the equipment that you know. That's huge change. It is absolutely. It starts from uh, helping uh, regulation definition with uh, simulating uh, the various uh, the various uh, scenarios. Uh, even we have a you know sound studio, uh, so basically for every race series we can uh, define how the the engine or how the power unit uh, should sound, uh, especially if there's a combustion engine uh, involved. Uh, all the testing that needs to be done to make sure uh, nobody is embarrassed uh, when they hit the racetrack. Uh, all the driver simulation. Uh, helping the drivers to fix on racetracks they've never seen before or they uh, want to improve on uh, even making parts as uh, you know there's a lot of uh, manufacturing involved uh, uh, nowadays as well so yeah absolute exciting times and uh, looking forward to the next five years well thanks michael ratzel we're gonna hear from uh, matthias dank for some of the, the more detailed stuff on the on the technology but yeah fascinating topic so thank you thank you in this second part of today's podcast, I sat down with AVL's Global Business Segment Manager of Racing, Matthias Dank, to dig deeper into the technical aspects of batteries and also how the technology is used in motorsport. 
Thank you for having me here. Oh, you're very welcome. Very welcome indeed. So um, as we continue our discussion about the uh, electrification currently taking place in the automotive industry and in motorsport, I um, thought we'd uh, have a, a bit more of a discussion about some of the technology that we'll be seeing uh, taking place, championships that are taking place in 2020. So let's start with the, with the obvious one, the the electric single-seater championship, Formula E. How much of the, champ- of the technology that that series uses do we actually see in electric road cars that are out there today? Uh, of the core technology, we see we, we see a lot of, uh, of that also in today's road cars. Uh, current Formula E regulation uses a technology that is pretty much state-of-the-art uh, and for a regular road car, it might be too costly, but in premium road cars, you see uh, the same technology, which is also a reason why we now and now see more of the suppliers uh, that traditionally started out of motorsports coming into into the uh, into, into the electrified road car business, having their pedigree in when the first hybrid system was introduced in in Formula One, and, the, and then later on in the 2014 regulations, they gained a lot of experience with low volume, high performance uh, electrified and electric powertrains. Motorsports also bridges a little bit the gap between traditional uh, automotive manufacturing and what we see from China or the west coast of the United States, this software based approach. So uh, on the one side we have a very rapid development cycle, on the other side we have uh, very precise and traditional engineering and motorsports historically always lies in between. So these suppliers uh, we now see also in the automotive industry doing prototypes or doing low volume batches and electric road cars still compared to conventional powertrains are a low volume do you expect those sort of markets to expand more over the coming years uh, yes definitely we will see more and more electric road cars so uh and we will see more of the technology that's still experimental uh that that we see in motorsports we will come we will come more and more once it is industrialized and it's affordable in electric road cars and so just going back to Formula E, you mentioned it's the sort of, you could consider that state of the art and the approach that they've got there. What is it specifically that they're doing that's so different? In racing, you have a very confined space and a very limited uh, way on how you operate it. You're racing around the track, so it's very predictable how you run it. So all the strategy behind it uh, is, is, is very much the strategy how you use the powertrain is very much tailored to the use case that you're having. Formula E, at the moment, the range of the battery is not enough to drive full power all the time. So you clearly need to set up a strategy that is based on simulation, based on big data, based on algorithms, based on data, uh, to optimize your range, your performance over range. And the same we can see in uh, road cars. Currently, the driver has a huge impact on the on the consumption of a conventional car, which translates directly over to the range of a battery electric vehicle. Um, if we take on more and more autonomous concepts or car-to-infrastructure, car-to-car communication, this strategy aspects on how can I optimize my range, how can I get furthest with a given amount of energy, this just directly translates over. Mm. Now, it's interesting that if you look at the, the first of all, the first generation Formula E car, and then even though the, the, the latest car looks very different to that, it's still designed fundamentally to be the same. So, for example, it's rear wheel drive. It's quite heavy at the rear to make it a big challenge for the drivers. If you were, would you, would it be, would, would the cars look completely different if they had to have like sort of road car concepts in terms of batteries and layouts and things like that? Yes, for sure they would look different. And if they were designed to be the ideal uh, race car to make the track in the fastest time, then they would also be looked, uh, would also look significantly different. But at the same time, the 
people making the regulations, FAA and Formula E, they can't just focus on making the best car on technology. It also has to be entertaining because it is a race and you need to attract uh, spectators there to see it. So that's always the balance to have an interesting race, but at the same time to promote the technology. Mm, mm, no, absolutely, and obviously the other the other major series, even even bigger series, Formula One has has taken a big swing towards electrification in the last decade, especially with the the V six hybrid power unit. So, can you just explain to us what that technology is in terms of uh, you know how the how these how these engines have have developed and and what they're particularly good at. Well, first of all, if you were just to make the fastest race car possible, you would still go just purely with a internal combustion engine. But the question is, if you just change the the envelope or the border conditions un- under which they're running, because up to 2014, it was take as much fuel as you want to and make the fastest car possible. Well, we saw that a hybrid car was necess- not necessarily faster than a non-hybrid car. Under the current regulations, where you have a fuel limitation and a fuel flow rate limitation, which is 100 kilograms an hour, maximum fuel flow rate at any time, uh, the question is now not make the most powerful engine but make the most powerful engine out of a given energy source where at the same time and this is the first time for a combustion engine that uh, the most powerful engine by definition is the most efficient engine so how can i make more efficient engines which translates over to uh, targets uh, that are important also for road cars but the technology having a motor generator unit and also uh, using uh, a, a, another electric motor that directly uh, is connected to the turbocharger just to take that waste energy and that waste heat and retake uh, energy out of that that just makes these engines so efficient and Formula One has done a great job on the technology side, but personally, uh, I think that it has done a very poor job on the marketing side out of this technology because compared to 2013 and with the new regulations up to now, the cars are having more performance, but they're using half the fuel. They're using half the fuel at the same performance than they did six or seven years back, which is an amazing development, which I think is not given the proper credit in public for what they have done. And uh, 20 years back, if you would have told me that we get a combustion engine that has a total efficiency of 50%, uh, I would have said, no, that's physically not possible. But there we are today. We have combustion engines that have 50% or a higher uh, fuel efficiency there. And what would you do to address that problem with the marketing? What do you think Formula One should be telling the public, not necessarily just motorsport fans, but everybody to say, look what we've done and look how this can benefit society? Telling the story, just telling the story. Um, During the last years, the discussion has always been in a way that Formula One technology is too complex. We have to make it simpler. Why? My question is, why do we have to make it simpler? Why does everybody need to understand? Uh, The average person on the road doesn't understand how his phone works, doesn't understand how uh, how his car works. Why does everybody need to understand in detail how a Formula One car works? Why can't it be a badge of honor being Formula One technology? Same is with NASA technology. If I buy a pen that has written on it that's NASA technology, that's used in space... I just assume that this is a good product, which is high engineering in it. Uh, why don't we have this this badge of honor, Formula One technology? If a road car is based on Formula One technology, it should be, at the same time, my consideration should be, as a consumer, it is well engineered, it has a high performance, and it is very efficient. We don't carry that over because the narrative doesn't tell the story. Mm, mm, no, I think you're right there. And it's interesting as well to, to consider how... These days, the the powertrains, the power units, the engines, they are 
recovering wasted energy that previously was just not thought of. And I think that's something that maybe we could bring home to people more that, you know, for example, looking into the connected future, say you've got an electric car, you've, you've driven it for a few hundred miles, all that energy, you come home, you plug it in, that could power your, power a bit of your house, heat up your bar for your heating or something like that. And is that something that, you know, that motorsport one day potentially could be getting involved in? Uh, they are already involved in, but uh, again, they are not telling the story. I think Formula E does a little bit of a better job because a couple of years back, drivers had to change cars, switch cars in between the race to manage the full distance. Now they don't, but if you tell it the other way around, they managed to do the same performance with a battery that just a couple of years later has twice the range. And I mean twice the range. That's an incredible benefit. We're talking now about range of 250 300 miles twice the range is 600 miles that is a huge number and the same with formula one they're doing the same performance on half the fuel if today a car a road car goes six liters per 100 kilometer half the fuel is three liters that is half the fuel this is half the emission that's half the co2 that is a big story and that is a huge achievement from an engineering perspective Mm -hmm. completely but do you think uh, are we approaching the sort of the ceiling for that development or is there further to go no there is still further to go I think we're not done yet with efficiency. Uh, the next level of efficiency, if if you've if you've if you've pressed out and squeezed out all the efficiency that you can get from the powertrain, you're not there yet. The next thing is strategy. Uh, when do I use how much power to be fastest in average? Translates over to road cars. Is what? How do I put my driving cycle? Where do I drive? Which roads do I take uh, dynamically, depending on on traffic status, so that I get uh, the most efficiency out of my powertrain? And the next step is cooling. At the moment, if you have an electric or even if you have a hybrid powertrain, combustion engine, e-motor, inverter battery they all need different temperature levels to run on so you have a lot of different radiators and they are just all obstacles in the wind of aerodynamic efficiency of drag uh, can i combine these cooling and and temperature circuits into one circuit can i get away with smaller radiator spaces do i have dynamic radiator spacing just depending on uh, outside conditions on driving conditions on ambient conditions those are the next levels of efficiency rolling resistance aerodynamic efficiency materials with less weight Mm, it's a good thing that Formula One teams are already focused on that already, especially with the, the massive focus on aero then. Massive focus on aero, but I think we will see in the midterm an end to carbon fiber technology as a lightweight material because there's another impact. You need a lot of energy to create carbon fiber composites. And at the same time, just for the nature of it, you can't recycle it. You just have to scrap it. Where at using metals, we always can recycle metals un un uh, until the end of it. So uh, efficiency and 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 carbon footprint is not only how much comes out of the tailpipe but also how much is used uh, for producing a car and also how much of that uh, of that material that has been used can go into recycling now looking at the specific components we see in electrification first thing that comes to mind naturally batteries what can you explain to us what kind of different batteries we see in motorsport the level of technology that we see in motorsport um those are currently the 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 highest performance uh, batteries that we see on the market. But uh, the question when it comes down to battery is, what is the best battery? That depends very much on, on the focus that you're having. Are you thinking about uh, a battery that can produce the most power or a battery that has the most capacity when it goes down to range? Or is it cost? Uh, cost 
is is not the prime driver for motorsports, but is for for road cars. So in motorsports, we can see about range where Formula E does a great job because the power is limited. And on the other side, where where we have other series going into uh, the electrification, it's it's power density. So how much power can I? How much peak power can I get out of a battery? But these technologies, and and we can play with different technologies. And if you were to ask me what's the best battery technology as of today, I will deliberately give you not an answer because once I leave the door unless once this podcast is online it might be different technology but motorsport can play with with these technologies where then uh, the road car industries and other industries can make a business case what to invest into so the battery technology that we see in road cars is a couple of years old because you have to uh, make your processes you have to build your factories and you have to accommodate uh, an industrialized process to get costs down and quality up can you explain to us just 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 a sort of a, a, an idea? Give us a sense of how many or what how many different kinds of battery technology there is, like the the cell structures uh, on the, on the cell like technology. That. Yeah, you have cylindrical cells, you have you have the pouch cells. They all have advantages and disadvantages on the on the cooling side. It's coming down to the cell chemistry, uh, whichever type of chemistry you're using. And there's always then the the, the big white elephant uh, that everybody's chasing, which would be solid state cells. A solid state would be perfect because they're not breathing. They're easier in packaging. They're easier in cooling. Um, you just read that there is a there is the one or other research institute or, or, or university that might industrialize it in the next two or three years, which would be perfect. But I have not seen it yet really come to market. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to to Formula E a little bit, I know that um, from covering the championship, obviously the the actual hardware is homologated from the start of each season. But the team spend a lot of time working on their software and how they get all the all the bits of the powertrain to talk to each other and come up with the most efficient way to go racing so can you explain to us um what exactly is it that they're doing when it comes to their software uh, several different aspects on how you can squeeze the efficiency numbers up. Uh, first, it is how the electric powertrain consists of three major components. You have the battery that comes up with the DC power, then have the you, the inverter that that converts it into AC power, and then you have the e-motor that is being driven. So apart from the electric and from the mechanic efficiency you have in there is are they driving in the right uh, operating ranges? How can I keep the battery at a temperature level where it is happy? Because if I drive it at a level that is too high, then I need more cooling, which means I need more air running through the radiators. If it's too low, I need to add more heating to it so that I come again at uh, at, at, at a temperature level where the, where the battery just is kept happy that's the one side how under different driving conditions can i keep all these uh, components happy at the temperature level and the efficiency level that they get the most out of it and then uh, it is i do not have enough primary energy which is the battery stored uh, which is the the energy stored in my battery uh, to run full power through the full race so when do i get how much power out of the race that I have competitive advantage compared on traffic situations, on the entire race situation, compared on if there will pit stops be demanded in Formula E, let's see what the future brings. Mm-hmm. Does that software translate to road cars? Because, for example, in racing, obviously, it's a very stressful environment. You're putting the components, testing them to their maximum. But if someone's driving an electric road car on the road, they won't be, they won't be doing a similar thing. But obviously, it's still going to need software to make sure all the bits talk to each other and function as they should. So how does that work? The integrated software and the algorithms used to drive the car or drive a Formula E car will never be translated uh, into a road car because there's no need for it. But the but, but because uh, 
how the car is handled is so much different. No matter if it's Formula E or Formula One, you have a limited amount of primary energy source. So you want to get as far, as fast as possible with what you have at hand. So what is performance in Formula E is range in a road car. So are the methods and the methodologies and the, the base algorithms that we use to take data and get information and get decisions out of this data, this is uh, directly can be reused. The same thing as the batteries that we see in a race car will not be used on a road car, but the methods, how we develop these batteries, how we engineer the batteries, how we test the batteries, these are directly applicable to road car business. So we know about Formula E and Formula One and what they've done with electrification. We know it's coming uh, in for rallying, the WRC and rallycross areas like that. Even the BTCC, even touring cars, is going to go uh, electric or, or towards that sort of that sort of end in the future. But are there any other areas of of motorsport and also other sporting things, for example, like uh, aircraft, Red Bull Air Race? Um, are they using more and more electrification sort of processes? Well, we, we see it in other racing leagues now coming up. Uh, it's it's maybe coming back to WEC. Uh, we see it in ITC. It, we see a discussion in IMSA going on. Uh, it has already been announced in NASCAR. Who would have thought that a NASCAR, uh, where we thought those are trucks from the 1960s running in ovals, there is an interest in hybrid technology. And hybrid technology... Uh, makes a, a lot of sense in motorsports as soon as you give fuel a limiting factor. As soon as this becomes a limiting factor, then hybrid makes a lot of sense because you can just get significantly further because you can regenerate out of braking events where this energy would other, uh, otherwise just go to waste. Hmm. Now, I'd like to end by talking again, going back to Formula E, but just before Christmas, they announced the the intention for what they want to do for their next generation of car, uh, which is to make it uh, faster, smaller, lighter. But the headline sort of the headline thing in it is that bring back in race pit stops with uh, fast charging uh, solutions for the battery, things like that. Is that possible? Can that be done? Yes, it is possible. It depends a little bit on the cell technology. So there, again, we had power cells. So a, a cell that has the capacity to generate a lot of power uh, also has the capacity to take a lot of power in a short term, term, which means fast charging. It is a good way to, to, to showcase fast charging. Um, and fast charging is something that we would want to see uh, on the road car market because there is still a, a thing that is range anxiety. I don't want to buy an electric car because I will have to stop somewhere for hours to get recharged. If I can plan the trip and have a fast charging port, why not make a 20 minute stop to get 80% of charge back again? Absolutely. And do you think, will it be a case of literally a driver coming in and a team plugging in or would there, or could we have a wireless charging plate, things like that? Is there a, is there a set route or can Formula E and the FIA do what they want? Uh, well, they can do what you want, but if you do wireless charging, it's... It, on the one side, you're having the limiting factor on the on the battery being able to take that high charge in a short amount of time. Wireless has a limitation on being able how much you can transmit. So using a thick cable is significantly easier than, than doing it wirelessly. Will there be a big challenge in terms of the infrastructure needed to support that? Because from the numbers that we've seen, it seems like it's going to be quite a big step up to what Formula E already uses in terms of the charging facilities in the paddock. For how Formula E is set up, so you don't have a fixed infrastructure, but a flexible in infrastructure, you might still need to rely on, on on charging capabilities, having diesel generators or using the generators now based on ethanol, um, where a lot of people say, yeah, but how electric is that if I have an ethanol generator? 
that's not the question behind it. I mean, motorsports will never save the planet. But at the same time, motorsports will never kill the planet. No matter how much emission motorsports has, it will not kill the planet and will not save the planet. But it is a showcase for technology and to, 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 to bring it closer to people uh, in an environment uh, which is based uh, on just a small portion of education, but the big portion is entertainment. And if we, if we think about all that generate the discussion of Formula E, yeah, but it, then it's not carbon neutral. Yeah, but how can it be carbon neutral uh, as of today, people need to travel there. You need to ship the equipment there. Uh, people, uh, 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 the spectators are going there. So having a really carbon neutral uh, event, the smallest portion, even a Formula One race, is, is, is the exhaust fumes that come out of the race cars. Matthias, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. It's really good to have you on the Autosport podcast and a, a good insight there into electrification. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you to Michael and Matthias for those interviews. I'll be back with more from the Autosport podcast very soon. As you can imagine, we're busy making preparations to cover the Formula One car launches next week and we'll soon be heading off to the two pre-season tests at Barcelona. From there, we'll be bringing you daily insight into all of the biggest stories emerging from the pre-season. If you enjoy this show, then please do share the Autosport podcast with someone who really might like to listen. And please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's something that really helps us to grow the show. Also, don't forget, Autosport magazine is published every Thursday for just $3.99 if you want to pick up a copy. And if you can't wait for your daily dose of motorsport journalism, then join thousands of your fellow podcast listeners by signing up for Autosport Plus. Uh, it costs less than £3.50 a month if you want to pay annually. I should know this. I used to edit the section. Uh, so for the, just for the price of a fancy coffee, you can get instant ad-free access to our in-depth analysis, unrivaled technical insight and expert opinion. We like to call it the world's best motorsport journalism. Of course, that's up to you to be the judge of that. So uh, we'll say thank you very much for joining us once again and for, for reading our various things on the websites. Uh, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport Podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. 
Wake up with a little splash of sweetness. Get any size iced coffee from caramel to hazelnut to French vanilla for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.